You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And again, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And let's get to it. Open your Bibles up to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon, haven't said that. Uh, We are out of the Ephesians series, but I trust it won't be far from our hearts and from our practice in our lives. And Philemon, um, you may not know where that is. It's a small book. If you can easily just roll right past it, you go to 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and then there's Philemon. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. It is right before Phi, uh, right before the book of Hebrews. So Philemon, it's uh, a short book, but it's a powerful book. I wonder this morning if you maybe oftentimes can ask yourself this question, who me? Who me? Ever faced a situation where that has been your response? You've been riding the bench perhaps all season. Oh, I forgot ushers have Bibles. They have Bibles in their hands. If you don't have a Bible, they would love to get a copy of God's Word in your hands so you can see the Word of God here today. Thank you guys for doing that. And even at home, if you're joining us there, please have your Bibles open. And uh, we're going to read together uh, from God's Word in a few moments. And so we have this, who me, who me, where the coach says to you, you've been riding the bench all game or maybe even all season, kind of like the case was with me. And then all of a sudden when the game is on the line, all of a sudden the coach says, go in, it's your turn. And you're like, who me? Or you get home after a long day and you just want to sit on the couch and just kind of relax. And all of a sudden it's, hey, what are we having for dinner? (laughs) You're looking at me? You think I'm going to do something about that? Or, or can you change that dirty diaper? Who, me? Or your boss tells you something to do that someone else should be doing, and you're like, who, me? The pastor comes to you and says, hey, can you preach next Sunday? And you go, who, me? Something out of the blue that you just don't see coming, and you just didn't see it on the radar, something you're totally, completely unprepared for, and your response is, who, me? Well, that may at times be the common and the automatic response when it comes to, at times, us as God's people hearing the word of God and calling us to take a certain action. And all of a sudden we are saying, who, me? It can't be me. Are you serious? And as we will see over the next few weeks as we get into this study from the book of Philemon, that God's word beckons us, every one of us, who, me? If you are in Christ, yes, you. He beckons us in Christ to extend radical gospel grace and love to one another. Philemon was written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. He would have been writing this letter about the same time that he wrote the book of Ephesians. And it is referred to as a pastoral or prison epistle. Now, you might say, what is an epistle? Sometimes people might say and, you know, or think that it is the wife of an apostle. And, and it's not that. That's lame pastor joke. But, uh, but, but it's not that. Epistle means a letter or a message. And Paul wrote four prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now, it's a very short book. It's a letter, actually. It's only 25 verses. It is one chapter. And so the letter, or or Philemon is also 
oftentimes a very understudied book of the Bible and unheard of. It's rarely quoted when, when a pastor is preaching or when you're reading a book. Very rarely do you see a quote or a verse taken from the book of Philemon. It is a, a book that doesn't contain any epic um, doctrines or confronts any sort of false teaching like a lot of the other epistles do in the New Testament. But what it does is it goes right for the heart. It goes right to the heart as there is a depth and a feeling and a love in this book regarding what true fellowship is. Now, the theme or the big idea, and I trust that you're going to be taking notes as we go through this and, and, and write down some of these things that will appear up on the screen. The big theme is forgiveness. It's freedom. It's the forgiveness and it is the freedom that can be found. And the two go hand in hand. It is about reconciliation that is first brought into the life of the individual through the work of Jesus. And as a result, we are compelled to extend forgiveness to others. The bottom line of this study that we're going to be in is this. If you, if we have been reconciled with God, we are then to be reconciled with one another. Who, me? Yes, you. If you have been reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, we are to be reconciled with one another. This isn't a book about people who are just interested in just going through the spiritual motions that are just being religious or, okay, fine, I'll say and I will do. It's the right thing to do. Fine, I'll forgive. I'll say the words. No, this is from the heart. Allowing God's word, allowing God's grace to transform our hearts and to extend and to receive true forgiveness. Let's read this letter together, all 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love of the faith, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of everything, every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you, my child Onesimus, for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. But I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. 
but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be, my compul- be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Archisteus, can't even say that right, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And would you look at that? You just read a book of the Bible. Some of you who haven't started a Bible reading program, hey, you've already polished off one book. Uh, Why not make it like a triple header and go for Jude and 3 John as well? Those are nice short ones. And then you can this afternoon say, I'm, I'm moving through this. What a great book this is. Now today, as we get this letter started, we can make three very important observations. First of all, we see an unlikely trio. First of all, we have Paul, a prisoner. This is the mighty, this is the great, this is the church planter, this is the missionary, this is the apostle Paul. And first of all, it says in verse one, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul is not parading his credentials or trying to get some sympathy. Here I am in prison. No, that's not what he's doing. He's just stating the facts. Paul, a prisoner, he says. Now, from a human point of view, he was being held illegally by the might and power of Rome. But look what he says. He doesn't say that he's a prisoner of Nero's. He's not saying he's under Nero's thumb. He says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And he say, I may be in chains. And yes, it may have been a result of false, unjust, trumped up charges laid against me. He'd been accused of, of starting a riot in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And, and it was a total setup that landed him two years in the slammer just outside of, of Jerusalem, which also included a joke of a kangaroo court and then also an assassination attempt upon his life. And then the two years in prison in a dungeon in, in Caesarea just outside Jerusalem. And then finally he ends up going to Rome on a ship and, and went through the experience that took him forever, including a shipwreck and just a lot of other things that, that took place. And now he's in Rome. He's under house arrest, chained in chains, more than likely chained 24 hours a day, seven days a week to a Roman guard. And yet he says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's perspective. He repeats it again in verse nine. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. He says that twice. 
You see, Paul didn't sit and sulk and say, oh, poor me, I got the, I, I'm getting the shaft here in prison. I'm getting the shaft by the Roman government. This is all going on. He understood that even his very chains, being in prison unjustly was the will of the Lord for him. He saw him there as a prisoner on a mission for Jesus Christ. And he just wasn't simply putting in time. No, he was making the most of every opportunity. It is believed that he wrote numerous letters to various people, and then these letters were taken and sent out through faithful messengers. He was making the most of every opportunity, like he told us to do in Ephesians chapter 5. He believed that was God's place for him at that time, and he wanted his chains to even bring glory to God. Loved ones here today, that's all great for Paul. But you know what? That applies to us as well. That what you are going through right now, every detail of your life, every high, every low, and everything in between that has happened, is happening, or what will happen has passed through the sovereign hands of God. What we are seeing in our nation and in our world these days, the divide and the brokenness, it's no surprise to God at all whatsoever. In many ways, we are reaping what we have sown. When a nation forgets God and turns the way that it has, and when the church of Jesus Christ in so many ways has gone away from the proclamation of the word of God and have lowered the standard and the preaching and the teaching of God's word just to try to bring more people in and no longer call sin, sin. We are reaping what we have sown. And yet I believe, even like Paul here in this prison, that was his greatest hour for that day. That was his greatest opportunity that God had given him and he was faithful wherever he was. And I believe in our lives, in this region, in our nation, this can be the gospel and the church's greatest hour. For God to be seen, to be, for God to be found and glorified in these days, it is very possible. And it starts with you and me. It starts in the teaching that we are going to venture through over the next number of weeks in the book of Philemon. I just love God's timing when we started the Fight Well series in Ephesians last fall. So fitting for where we are at. And I trust we've been strengthened and equipped and now are applying what we've been learning. Well, this, this series in Philemon had no idea when it was put on the preaching calendar that our world, our nation, and our lives would be in such turmoil. The answer for our day, the answer for our lives, the answer for the wrestling in our minds is found in God's word. Just even right now, let's commit this to the Lord. God, like Paul, we submit our lives to you. You are the sovereign. You are the one in control of all things. And God, we believe like Paul, even there as a prisoner, he saw this as an assignment from you. God, we have assignments given to you through your word as your children. And so many like Paul before and after have been faithful. God, I pray that we would be faithful as well. 
that we may see and experience the beauty and the glory of Christ, that it would be revealed in a greater way in our own lives with some runaway grace applied to us from you and that that would flow into our relationships and our friendships. God, would you do a work? We believe you are in control of all things and we submit ourselves to you once again, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. No, don't think we're done. We just, we're just getting started, okay? Now, now, while Paul was in prison, Timothy and others had access to him, caring for his needs and his well-being, and some of them then sent out to deliver letters, and, and, and he was allowed visitors to come in, and somewhere, somehow, we don't know the details, along the way, while he's in prison, he got to know this runaway, this runaway, this renegade, the second person of this unlikely trio, and that is Onesimus. He's the runaway. He was originally from Colossae, but ran away from his master along, it would seem, taking a sum of money or taking something of value. And so he runs a thousand miles away to Rome, thinking that no one would, would, would find him or know of him because knowing full well what he did in leaving, deserting his master and taking what he took, he was deserving of death. And so he figured he could get a new fresh start in the city of Rome. And so he figured he could run, but let's face it, folks, when it comes to our God, you can run, but what? You can't hide. He will find you. And here we have this runaway slave, this, this slave that, that, who was on the run and yet came running into God's grace. Now, slavery in Paul's day, some of you may be, when we read this and think about this, you may have some questions, and I just trust I can bring some biblical clarity to this. Slavery in Paul's day was quite a bit different in how we automatically think of slavery. Oh, there were the abuses and there were things that weren't good in that. But oftentimes our minds, when we think of masters and slaves, we can revert back to the horrors of, of American slavery. But at this time, it was estimated in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million, 60 million slaves. That was a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And people would be born into, sold into, and even at times would offer themselves as slaves. And yes, there were no doubt there were times that they had been greatly in the past and even from that point also mistreated and even during that time mistreated by their masters. But the vast majority of slaves biblically during this time would have been treated quite well. They would have actually had many rights and freedoms the vast majority of them were treated and cared for. They were valued, they were housed, they were protected. Some were educated. In fact, some would be educated in, in, in the areas of, of science and medicine in, as, as doctors. They would be rewarded and oftentimes become trusted, almost like members of the family for those whom they worked for. And so just some understanding there that this slavery wasn't, he was running away from oppression. Because when you are oppressed, when, when, when there is abuse going on, yes, you do run away, but he did something that he ought not to have, and he took something that he ought not to have taken. Now, the Bible and, and Jesus and the Apostle Paul, in, in, in the readings that we have over the years, at times by some, and especially even in more recent years, have, have taken some heat and criticism for not speaking out against or abolishing slavery. But let's remember 
that Jesus did not come to lead a revolution or to change the society through the external structures. Jesus came to bring change to the human heart. He came to bring a message of hope, of transformation, of reconciliation between the sinner and between God. That, and, and, and that real and true reconciliation and change starts in the heart of the individual, in the heart of the believer in Christ and moves out from there. And it affects social movements and it makes a difference in society. God's word declares in Colossians 3 and also in Galatians 3, as well as in many other passages, things like this. This is from Colossians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ is all and in all. The gospel of Jesus Christ unites us. It, it loves, it respects, and cares for one another. Now, somehow, this runaway slave, Onesimus, this slave who ran away as well as this thief, he hears the gospel. Again, we don't know the full details of this, but he responds to the gospel in faith and in repentance. And somewhere, he gets connected to the Apostle Paul. Could you imagine having on your resume Onesimus discipled by the Apostle Paul? That'd be pretty cool, I'm telling you. I mean, and, and so he became a very close friend, a trusted friend, and a helpful servant to the Apostle Paul. They had a great friendship. The third person that we see in this unlikely trio is Philemon, a faithful servant, and in short, referred to as a refresher. He was a refresher of people. It says to Philemon, our our beloved fellow worker, this is verse one and now verse two, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now Philemon was Onesimus's boss and master back in Colossae, but he was also believed to have been a wealthy businessman with a large home and a church that was meeting there. And at some point, the apostle Paul, quite possibly in Ephesus, met up and got to know Philemon, because we have no record of Paul actually making it to Colossae, uh, the city in which he lived. But Philemon, through his faith, and being even in Ephesus, as Paul spent a great amount of time in Ephesus, wasn't too far from Colossae, that, that it was possibly there that they became very close as dear friends. Now, Aphia, who we see here, is believed to be Philemon's wife, and Archippus, who is mentioned also in Colossians chapter 4, is believed to be their son and quite possibly the pastor of the church. So here you have this ministry family. You have these people who are hosting a church in their home. They have a son who is a pastor. They, Philemon and Paul had a deep and a refreshing, a wonderful relationship. And look at what it says in verse four. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Look at verse seven. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is Paul, as you read this and you understand in how he's, he's gushing over Philemon at this point. When he gets to verse seven, for I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He's, he's, he's saying, I'm so thankful for you. And, 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 and as he's writing this, as you read this, there is a depth, there is a, a girth to this, my new favorite word, by the way. There's a girth to this. There's this emphasis that just literally means uh, from the bowels. It is like from the loins. It's just like, oh man, you are just so awesome. When I think of you, I am so thankful to God for you because of what you have meant to me and also what you have meant to so many others. And so, man, I just think of you and I just like, oh, from within. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to have a, okay, blood pressure. Do we have a doctor in the house? Okay. Yes, we're good. That's the way Paul is writing this. I mean, we can just read this and but when you understand the, the way that this is written in the original and the way that this is just coming together, it's just like, oh, Philemon, I love you, man. You're such a refresher. I wonder who has been a refresher in your life? Who's been a Philemon to you? That person who has loved and cared for you in word, in deed, in actions, Someone who has been instrumental in your life. Someone who, when you get thinking about them and you get talking about them, you're just like, that person, I just love them. They're so good in just what they have done and what they have meant to me or to my family. And just and the, maybe it's the person who shared the gospel with you and brought you to faith, that person who discipled you. Maybe it's that youth group leader, that, that, that hope kids worker or that, uh, in the kids ministry you were a part of. Maybe it's someone you don't even know very well, but just even seeing them. There's some of you, I see you on a Sunday morning, and it's just like, oh. I mean, some of you, it's, oh. No, it, no, that's, that's not true. It's like, oh boy, run. Um, no. But some, some folks, you don't even know that well, but just by their very presence. I oftentimes get refreshed by seeing the crazy people up on the stage serving the Lord. I mean, they show up like Thursday night, church office, they're rehearsing, they're going through, through stuff, they're practicing, they're doing all of that. They're here early Sunday mornings. When I pull in here, they're already well on the way. Today, by the time I got here, they were already done rehearsing. People who do that junk back there that is so helpful and so good and get it on camera. And, and I walk in, I'm like, love it. These people refresh me. But perhaps it's in other areas, that person at work, that family member who you know has prayed for you, who has been there for you and with you, and just the very presence, and just at times, you just start thinking, and you're just thinking what God has done and how they have met, what they have meant in your life. You just can't help. But just, oh, so thankful. There's cards on your chair. There's two of them, and there's more of them at the um, back table. I encourage you to take those home, or even before you leave here today, to write a note to one or two or more, refreshers in your life. There's something powerful about the spoken word. There's something powerful about the written word. Maybe you'll send a text or an email. If you don't know where if the person is coming to the second service or maybe not here this week, you don't see them, just pop it in the offering box. What a beautiful offering that is to give to God and to then for us to make sure it gets into the hands of the person that you are wanting to, uh, for us to be able to get that to. I'm so thankful for the Philemons, the refreshers in my life. Well, what an unlikely trio this is. Paul, a once proud Pharisee, persecutor of the church, turned 
pastor, oh, be, turned Christ follower, turned pastor, turned church planter, missionary, now turned prisoner. Onesimus, a runaway, a runaway slave and a thief, but now a follower of Christ. And Philemon, a faithful servant of the Lord, a refresher. And yet God brings in his providence, by his grace, he brings this unlikely group of people together. Just look around you, even now. Go ahead and do it. Look around, move. Look around, look behind you, look in front of you. God brings the most different people together, doesn't he? And I'm calling you different because you are different. We have such differences between us and, and different backgrounds and experiences and different views and different beliefs and different interests and different convictions. And yet, we are here together and we are bound together in the bond of Christ. A bunch of weird people like you and I are joined together, which normally we wouldn't share anything in common, but we share the bond of Christ. And it's even that much more of a joy when we get to share other things as well. Maybe a love for certain foods or maybe a love for a certain sports team or whatever it might be or for outdoors or hiking or what. That's even just an extra bonus. But we have this bond. Remember that old song? I Probably by the Gaithers. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Well, in reality, I think that song could be, I'm surprised you're a part of the family of God. I mean, you just think about it, like you look at certain, and you hear their background, and you hear what, what's gone on in their life, and you're like, I, that's only the grace of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of this family of God. God brings the most unlikely people together because he wants to do something great and amazing in them and boom through them what does our nation need what do our families what does the brokenness in our relationships need god to do a new and a fresh work in us in me in you in us and then boom through us into the lives of others into this nation However, he brings these unlikely trios, this unlikely trio together, but we also, secondly, we have a very awkward situation that comes to the surface. Now, I'm not sure how this played out. I had some fun thinking about this this past week, but perhaps there was a conversation between Paul and Onesimus that went like this one day. Onesimus, tell me a little bit about your past. Tell me, oh, don't, oh, Paul, it's a long story. And Paul says, don't worry, I've got lots of time. I'm not going anywhere as he looks at the chains and as he looks at the Roman guard. And Onesimus, so he smiles and he starts to tell the story about how one day he saw something and he wanted it that his boss had. His boss, by the name of Philemon, and he was a good man, and, and yet I, I took something that I ought not to have, and, and so I ran and I ran and I fled for my life. And Paul's like, hold it, time out. You said Philemon? And, and this was in Colossae, right? Like, yeah. He says, is that, no, is that the Philemon who, who hosts a church in his house? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I didn't really buy into that Jesus stuff back then, but yeah, uh, I know him. And could you just imagine Onesimus just, 
Oh, sometimes the family of God can be pretty small, isn't it? And yet it's so big. And he's like, no way. And isn't it amazing how God will take and he will rearrange heaven and earth to place people in our lives in order to save them, in order to sanctify, in order to transform us. And both Philemon and Onesimus, they're so dear to Paul, but now there's this outstanding issue between them, a bit of an awkward situation that then thirdly leads us to our third observation, and that is an egregious request. My second favorite word right now, egregious. That's a power word. That's a, you know what that means? It, it, it means um, glaring, a remarkable, an extraordinary, almost offensive request. And so here we have this egregious request that Paul is going to make. It's about being a grace giver. Philemon, I want you to be a grace giver. Onesimus, you need to be someone who asks for grace. And he makes this request, and I'm sure Philemon was like, who, me? I'm sure Onesimus would say, who, me? And Paul, as we will see next week, is going to ask, putting his friendship on the line with Philemon and with Onesimus as he wants them to reconcile. For Onesimus, he wants him to go back home and to confess what he did. For Philemon, Paul is going to ask him to not just spare his life because he could have had him put to death, but instead receive him and refresh him in the same way that he had in the past refreshed Paul. And Paul is putting this friendship on the line. I mean, this is real deal stuff. This is where an offense, a hurt has happened. Punishable, hugely punishable in the courts of law, even by death. A massive offense has taken place, and yet God's grace can and will bring freedom. Now, this story to us may be kind of unfamiliar culturally, but we've all been here and we're in this story personally and relationally, aren't we? Because we've all been wronged by others. We've all carried or maybe still continue to carry deep hurt because of what others have done to us. Or maybe it is us carrying deep regret over things that we have done. Actions and words that we have spoken and now there is a break in a relationship. And some of those situations have, have, have hurt deeply, you or the recipient of the actions. And even for some of you, even here today, your mind is already going to some of those people or some of those situations, and you're already starting to, your blood pressure is going up. There's a sadness, perhaps, or, or a regret, or a hurt an anger that is starting to surface and you thought, I buried that, I thought that was done. And if that's starting to spew up within you, that means it's not done. That God has a deeper work for you, for that situation, for all of us. And let's face it, we've all been wronged, we've all been hurt by others. And I believe we need these, this series and this day more than ever. Today, each one of us, we've been wounded, we've been disappointed, we've been hurt, we've been sinned against by family members, by friends, maybe even by the church, by brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And I want you to know if that's the case, you've come to the right place. Because many of us here too have scars that have been brought on by brothers and sisters in Christ. And I wonder, I probably don't want to know, but how much unchecked anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and breaches of relationship and, and, and such is within the church family, including this church family or a former church family, or within the blood families that we have been placed into by God, or in the workplace or school or friends or now former friends. And the last two years have wreaked havoc on relationships, and the devil is doing a happy dance in, heaven, in, in hell. He's just dancing away, just loving it. The more division, the more uh, destruction he can bring into, in, into relationships, the more joy he has. And you know what? Even if COVID could end tomorrow and all the mandates and restrictions and, and just somehow miraculously it was all done in Canada, around the world, and we were back to where we were basically two years ago before this all started, we think we're free, but we're not. We're bound up, we've been fractured, we've been bruised in relationships and in our own heart. You see, Paul, he was in chains, wasn't he? Chained to a Roman guard, but he was free. He was free indeed. He was free in his heart before God and before others. Onesimus, he was free. He had freedom. He could come and go wherever he wanted to. But he had chains around his heart. He had relational chains. He had that issue in his past that would hound and dog him until it was dealt, dealt with for the rest of his life, affecting his intimacy and his relationship with God, always knowing, yes, that God would, has forgiven him, but he's got a situation that needs to be taken care of. To be reconciled with one another doesn't mean we're going to necessarily see everything the same or agree, agree on everything. Again, unity does not mean conformity on secondary issues. We can agree and we'll have to agree on, agree on many things to disagree. And there's no magic pill when it comes to, or our perfect prayer to pray, and then all of a sudden, oh, I forgive you, it's done, it's good, I'm, 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 I'm all good. No, it's hard. Forgive and forget, yeah, right, that's not easy. But what it starts, and forgiveness starts with removing the penalty for the wrong that has been done towards us. The penalty, we can see that removed. Yes, there are things to work on, and we may never hear a word of apology or an acknowledgement of someone's own wrongdoing, but we can be free in Christ and free with others. And how and what basis can we do this? How can we extend and receive this kind of forgiveness? Well, we can only do this if we are in Christ. If we have received the massive removal of the penalty for all the wrong that we have done. God has, has taken and he has reunited or reconciled the massive, massive difference and deficit from our own sins and his holiness. He's reconciled that in Christ. He's done the ultimate already. And so what we are asked to do is going to be 
hard, but less than what he's already done for us. And so you might be thinking, oh, this might be a series to skip. You might say, well, will I be called to ask or extend radical runaway grace to others? Well, I don't know if you will be. That's between you and the Holy Spirit, but here's the qualifier for that to happen. We can only extend and receive radical grace and forgiveness in our lives and in our relationships only if we have been vertically defined, defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who have been forgiven much will forgive. Those who have been, who have been forgiven, who have been internally transformed are the only ones who can participate in this radical runaway grace and forgiveness. And here's how you know if you qualify for that. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? making him the Lord and Savior of your life. If so, you have been justified, meaning you have been declared righteous before God. You have been regenerated, meaning what is dead has come to life. It means that you have been adopted as sons and daughters of God, God Most High. It means your sins have been forgiven, that your, what, your sins, though be as scarlet, are now as white as snow. It means that as far as the east is from the west, we are forgiven. Those sins aren't coming back. They're not coming back to condemn us. If this is what defines you, then you are ready to extend and to receive radical grace. And what frees us, enables us to receive, and to be able to extend gospel grace is that it first flowed from heaven, from the Father. It, it, it flowed to us vertically through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And when we have received this vertical grace and forgiveness from our God, we are now vertically defined as sons and daughters of Christ sons and daughters of God, and it then means that we can now live in a journey, in a relationship, to be horizontal conduits, a pipeline of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. As we have and continue to receive that grace and mercy and forgiveness from God, we can then push it out into the lives of others, into our relationships. A number of years ago, we were going through a very difficult time in ministry, and then it led us to moving out of ministry for a season. And it was during that time of bewilderment and confusion and hurt, incredible disappointment. I met with an older man who was my childhood pastor, who dedicated me when I was just an infant. And as I shared with him what we had just been going through, I'll never forget his tears of compassion that were running down his face. And then he told me how even upon hearing in the weeks before that, hearing what we were going through and now meeting with us would just cause him to cry and to be so sad for what we were going through. But then he went on and he told me that the hearing our story only caused him to relive the hurt and the pain that, that he went through almost identical to us some 30 years before that. And I'll never forget that Tim Hortons. I'll never forget. In fact, I look at that table often where I sat with him. 
and looking at those tears and I told the Lord, Lord, by your grace, would there be healing and forgiveness in my life so that in 30 years, I'm not crying tears of sadness and sorrow and still hurt, but I'm crying tears of your healing and your grace and your forgiveness and all that you've done in and through this. I don't want to be like that. And by God's grace and for his glory, we're on that path. Hope Church, this is the journey we are on for the next few weeks. Freedom, forgiveness, being set free. Let's dig in, let's humble ourselves. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and be givers and receivers of radical grace and forgiveness that it already has originated from heaven to us through the cross. Let's pray. And so God, even now, we come to you and we know that everything that we go through, there's a reason and a purpose behind it. And God, I know that even the things we've said here today can bring up a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. God, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here in the room or watching, listening to this online. Oh God, that we would, rather than in the future, in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, when we think of these people or the situations, we would be able to smile and say, oh God, you're so good. God, you're bringing healing. God, you're bringing forgiveness. You're bringing mercy. And God, believe that in the weeks ahead and for the rest of our lives, we will be we desire here to be great conduits of your grace and mercy that has flowed. That even together as we declare, even in response to you, how marvelous, how wonderful your grace. And that one day we will see you in glory and we will say it was all worth it. Oh God, because your grace brings healing and it brings wholeness and restoration. And this is what our lives and our families and our relationships, what our nation needs is to see a church being reconciled to one another, to see the body of Christ, to see blood families, to see workplaces, to see your spirit at work in our lives, and it will flow, it will flow. It's our only hope for life and peace and rest, knowing that your grace is more than enough to cover over any of the hurt that we've gone through. Guide us in this journey, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.